Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, everybody. My name is Justin. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, for this worship series, we've been doing um, something called a daye nu, which is a Hebrew phrase that means it would have been sufficient, implying that there's something more or extra that follows a phrase. Dayenu can be a cheerful song sung by Jewish families at Passover. There's also, if you really delved into the wiki, a thing about the Afghan Jews throwing vegetables at each other. So it's mostly lighthearted. We're learning to tell those stories in our own Dayenu pattern so we can experience the gratitude that that can provoke. And today it's my turn to share my story. A lot of news are really happy stories. Some of them are ironically so. I'm a rule follower by heart, which is to say I look up the rules so I learn where I can bend them. I've done the same with this Dayenu. Nothing I could find tells me they have to be rosy or happy. They are only required to be real and to point toward gratitude, however circuitously. With that, a content consideration for unhealth and a child. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had simply told my family had faith and really meant it. But instead, God gave us baby Andrew. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had simply blessed my family with baby Andrew. But instead, God decided having a baby wasn't enough. They decided Andrew should have a heart condition too. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had made us cold-hearted. Instead, God gave my family the gift, or the curse, of empathy. We cry in movies when the dog dies. We should be out of tears for Andrew, but we aren't. We can't be. We will never be. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had just given an innocent baby a normal heart, a regular size organ, zero birth defects, a healthy baby boy. Instead, God gave my brother and sister-in-law a beautiful baby whose heart was too small on one side. Hypoplastic left heart syndrome is a long-winded, surgical, cold way of saying, we're not sure if he's going to make it. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had decided that a small heart could be corrected with surgeries and modern medicine. Instead, God decided two surgeries in that perhaps Andrew's heart was not as strong as we all thought it was. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had decided one heart for a little baby would be enough. Instead, God decided Andrew might need a transplant. One heart was not enough. He might need a second Maybe a third, if he makes it to his uncle's age, my age, if. It would have been enough if God had simply allowed us to pray for Andrew's recovery and health. 
Instead, God placed us between a rock and a hard place, praying for an organ donor. How do you pray for your own baby when his recovery requires another family's tragedy? It would have been enough if God had simply told me he hated me, or Andrew, or my family. I've heard it from evangelicals for years. What's one more voice in a chorus? Instead, God gave me an anger so deep-seated, I don't know which direction to scream sometimes. It would have been enough, Daye knew, if God had remained the American prosperity God, white Jesus who hands out blessings because you bought hell insurance. Instead, God has shown us the beauty, the divinity, the tragedy and resilience that is the true Imago Dei. It would have been enough, Daye knew, if I had taken these words and feelings to my grave, bottled them into bad habits, or banked them into future therapy sessions. Instead, God has given me a community in which I can grieve without guilt. And for that, church, I have gratitude. Good evening. So as Deanne said earlier, my name is Cameron Young. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm here to share a reading with you from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapters 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And I feel called to add a, a content note myself, um, especially given the beautiful, beautifully vulnerable story we just heard that this, this is... This d does contain more elements of violence and, and children in violence. So just a heads up. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join the closest neighbor in obtaining one. In obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who shall eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel should slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, 
both human beings and, anim and animals on all the gods of Egypt. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live when I see the blood. I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Thanks be to God. Dai dai enu, dai dai enu, dai dai enu, dai enu, dai enu, dai dai enu. Dai dai enu, dai dai enu, dai enu, dai enu. If he had brought us out from Egypt, ilu ilu hotzianu, hotzianu mimizraim, hotzianu mimizraim, dai enu, dai dai enu, dai dai enu. If he had brought us into the land of Israel, Ilu ilu hiknisanu, hiknisanu leretz Yisrael, hiknisanu leretz Yisrael. Dai dai hinu, dai dai hinu, dai dai hinu, dai hinu, dai hinu. Dayenu, it would have been sufficient or it would have been enough if God just gave us these one or two blessings, but God has given us so much more, and it's such a blessing to be here with you all tonight. I want to thank Reverend Katie for inviting me to preach here, my friend and classmate Deanne for serving as our worship producer, and one of your church elders, although I don't know he'll like it that I, I call him that, but Dr. Lance Poppy, who happens to be a professor of my, who happens to be my professor of preaching and whose mentorship and guidance I'm incredibly grateful for. So I want to preface this with a little of my own spiritual background. As Deanne mentioned earlier, I am a Unitarian Universalist. If you're not familiar with us, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us. I worked for a local UU church for a number of years and now serve on our UU association. So classical Unitarians considered themselves Christian, but explicitly believed in the oneness of God rather than the threeness or the trinity. Universalists rejected this notion of eternal damnation because they believed that God loves us way too much for such nonsense. Those two faith movements joined in the 20th century, and from it emerged a faith without creeds in which love is at the very center. So having spent five years at a Disciples of Christ seminary, I would say there is much in common between our two faiths. Only I would characterize us as perhaps less Jesus-centered and more Jesus-adjacent, you could hear the Bible read in a given UU service, but you'd be just as likely to hear a poem from Henry David Thoreau 
or Mary Oliver or even Audre Lorde. So here I am, a Unitarian, preaching in a Christian church on a quintessentially Jewish text, trying to keep my own imposter syndrome at bay and not feel out of my depth. And just so we have all of our bases covered, I'm going to make a Buddhist analogy as well. But this is part of why I study religion. I firmly believe that there's much wisdom to be found in every major spiritual tradition, and no single one of them has a monopoly on God. God is far too big for that. Which brings me to Exodus. So this is arguably the most action-packed book in the entire Bible. You have Moses' birth, his upbringing by Egyptian royalty, his encounter with God at the burning bush, the ten plagues, the parting of the sea, 40 years in the desert, the covenant at Sinai, and finally, the promised land. And then there's this Passover passage that feels almost as if you were watching a really action-packed TV show, and suddenly you hear, we interrupt this programming with a special weather bulletin. Tornadoes expected in your county. Avoid all roads. Shelter immediately on the first floor of your building away from glass windows. So the flow of Exodus is effectively interrupted by God to outline the instructions of the first Passover meal. They are to take a lamb for each family. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a one-year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 12.8, they shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. 12.11, this is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. So this is a moment of liminality in Exodus, or a transitory period in a rite of passage. The Hebrews have been held in bondage and are preparing themselves for liberation, but they need a moment to collect themselves and protect themselves. Liminal moments are also characterized as being without boundaries or borders, including chronological time. So the reader, having gone through the passage of Exodus chronicling these characters of a mythological past, is actually invited to become a participant in the story. Those celebrating the Passover ritual are dining with their Jewish ancestors. They are taking shelter from the storm, having a moment of peace and transitioning from one phase to the next, just as the Hebrews do here in preparation to leave Egypt. Having a moment of peace and protection amidst the plague, but at the ready, loins girded, to leave at a moment's notice. So with that said... Those of us who aren't Jewish and don't regularly celebrate Passover may still have difficulty connecting with the passage, especially given that it's got pieces of brutality. I can say the majority of Jewish people I know don't condone this idea of God striking down all the firstborns of Egypt. It's imperative for us to remember that Exodus is also a political document, 
for a group that was perpetually oppressed and in exile and antiquity, needing solace, unification, and identity as a people. That was provided by a narrative of God being on their side and against their oppressors. Well, that doesn't mean we have to like the genocidal elements of the Hebrew Bible. It does make sense and provides a framework for God being on the side of the oppressed, which I can get behind. So we also may have difficulty with the specifics of the ritual. What does a one-year-old lamb roasted over a fire, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and girded loins have anything to do with me in my context? So in addition to being a UU, I also practice Zen Buddhism. So I've been on several Zen retreats, also known as Sashin. During my first Sashin, I was surprised by some of the rigid parameters designed to guide these retreats. You have to... It's, you have to sit like three, three to seven days where participants are almost completely silent. 10 to 12 sits a day facing the wall, eyes slightly open, very specific posture and rhythm during the walking meditation, specific guidelines on when and how to bow and prostrate, no screen time if you can avoid it. That one's tough. A daily tea ceremony where the tea has to be made and consumed in a precise way. So a lot of rules that might on the surface seem arbitrary. However, as you repeat these rituals, your mind slows down. Your every movement begins to feel intentional. And personally, I start to feel the presence of God in such stillness. There's a Hebrew word known as hakim, which means decrees from God, which seem to have no rationale behind them. If these instructions seem foreign to us, they probably did to some of these Hebrews as well. You want us to do what with the lamb? Why would I eat with my loins girded? The Hebrew Bible is full of God making commands out of left field and the hearers going, huh? I mean, even Moses is like, you want me to lead these people out of Egypt? The late rabbi, Lord Jonathan Sachs, tells us that there may be method behind such madness, however. The human brain is essentially guided by two major systems. Our prefrontal cortex, responsible for rational decision-making, and our amygdala, which is our fight-or-flight response system. Our amygdala is where we process fear, and it tends to override the other portions of the brain when we're under duress. The amygdala is instinctual, as we humans are often more instinctual than rational. So Hakim, and in particular some of these commandments in Exodus are, hang, hang here with me, because they don't seem rational, actually bypass the rational prefrontal cortex, which according to Sachs, actually creates new neural pathways resulting in new instinctual behavior. Okay, stay with me, stay with me. He says that rational commandments cannot defeat irrational instincts. 
Rationalism is only half the story of why we are here, and we are here the other half, and we will need the other half if we are to successfully conquer the instincts of aggression, violence, and death that lurks not far beneath the conscious mind. So you can't always tell a two-year-old not to put their finger in the electric socket. Those of you who are parents know this. You can tell them no, you can give them an emphatic no, which may work, but it may actually tempt them even more. What might actually work best is distracting them with a fun, shiny toy on the other side of the room so that then you can go and install a baby-proof outlet protector. So these concepts, bypassing the prefrontal cortex, creating new neural pathways, are also ingrained into certain psychotherapy techniques. Patients dealing with trauma may be asked to conduct random movements or given random visuals while recalling painful memories in order to create new neural pathways. Now, I'm not a licensed psychologist, so I'm in no position to elaborate on such techniques, but I know many people who have found healing in them. Thinking of these Hebrews living in slavery, these are traumatized people. The Passover ritual may not just be this literal moment to protect themselves from a plague, but also a liminal space in which they can heal from their pain. And God is thinking about their journey into Israel with 40 years in the desert. How on earth are a bunch of traumatized people going to survive that journey together and form a society? They need new neural pathways so that their instincts are love and solidarity and not fear and violence. Otherwise, they would succumb. So millennia before the invention of psychotherapy, these major spiritual traditions we're on to something. Judaism and its rituals, Buddhism, yoga, and there's plenty to draw from the Christian traditions too. When you're young, depending on your tradition of origin, you don't exactly grasp the full rationale behind why you take communion. Symbolically, of course, you're participating in the radical welcome of Jesus. But on a psychological level, you're creating early habits to calm down your nervous system. The same goes with prayer and hymn singing. Bonus points if you're in community because physiologically our bodies regulate with one another towards a state of equilibrium. And what happens when that amygdala can calm down and with it the fear and anxiety? In that stillness, we are left with joy and gratitude and the overwhelming feeling of God's presence. Each little thing, our breath, our nourishment, our fellowship with one another, turns into a profound blessing. Even if you don't feel like you have access in your current life to contemplative prayer or extended meditation, just simply trying to be still and enjoying your first sip of coffee in the morning can make all the difference in the world. 
in my meditation practice, I know that no, no matter what chaos exists in the external, impermanent world, I can always come back to my breath and my sitting and my prayer. And in this time where so many of us are being targeted and having our rights taken away by fascist lawmakers, when our oppressors seek to keep us in bondage, we can always come back to these moments of stillness with God. These liminal spaces where we can take solace and allow the storm to pass over us. And nobody can take that away. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.